Cosmos Science. News, magazine, podcasts, video and features. So imagine this. Here you are standing beneath the night skies of Iceland. It's about nine degrees and all around you, all you can see are vast, endless blankets of snow. You take another look and suddenly the white snow has a slight tint of green. Only then you look up where right above you is the most magnificent dancing northern sky with shimmering green light emerging from the darkness. Soon, every object you can see is dressed with the curtain of emerald green auroras, the Aurora Borealis. I'm Hajra Mustafa, and today on Podcast Next Gen, I'm going to be turning the spotlight onto one of nature's most amazing displays, how it occurs, where the colours come from, and exactly when and where you can find the auroras. In fact, you don't even have to travel to Iceland, in the south of Australia, we can also see the Aurora Australis, and this is a great time to be on the lookout. So, where do these auroral displays come from? Well, it all begins with a collection of charged particles known as plasma expanding out from the sun's outer atmosphere. As the plasma heats, there comes a point where the sun's gravity can't hold these groups of charged particles anymore. So, they travel along the sun's magnetic field, and as the sun winds up, its magnetic field lines above its polar regions turn into a large rotating spiral known as a solar flare. And a stream of these charged particles is then expelled into all directions of space. Imagine shaking up a can of Pepsi and opening it up. There's a stream of bubbles that suddenly goes everywhere, just like the particles. So, what happens after these groups of charged particles ditch the sun? Well, they travel between 300 to 500 kilometers per second, and in approximately three days, some of them slam against the Earth's invisible magnetic field. 98% are deflected, and 2% of these particles travel towards the northern and southern poles. These groups of solar particles collide with gas atoms and become excited with extra energy emitting light. This light becomes two glowing rings of auroral emission, creating auroral ovals over the northern and southern hemisphere. Now that these charged particles are emitting light, what exactly determines the colours that we see? Well, it's as simple as which atoms these solar particles collide with and where. When one of these charged particles bump into an oxygen atom, it emits either red or green light. At high altitudes of 150 to 250 kilometers up, the atmosphere is less dense, so there are fewer oxygen atoms. When atoms collide, they lose some of their energy. When a solar particle collides with an oxygen atom at high altitudes, the oxygen is able to better hold onto its energy for around two minutes which allows it to emit a red photon. At lower altitudes of 100 to 150 kilometers up, the excited oxygen only needs to hold onto its energy for around 0.7 seconds to light the sky up green. The purple occurs around 90 to 100 kilometers up, and the color is a mixture of red and blue photons, which are the signature colors that an excited nitrogen atom emits. 
So, if you're someone like me, who has never quite had the chance to see an aurora yet, you're hopefully wondering how come we see varying strengths of these light shows of nature. Well, all aurora chasers need to get familiar with the solar cycle. This is an 11-year cycle where the sun's solar activity increases and decreases in intensity. Our ball of fire has a lot going on, typically measured by the number of sunspots present. Sunspots are regions of reduced surface temperature where the magnetic field is 2,500 times stronger than Earth's, and they increase and decrease throughout the 11-year cycle. But at one point, known as the solar maximum, the sun goes into overdrive. Instead of popping open a single Pepsi can, picture a thousand of them. The greater the number of sunspots, the greater the auroral activity. The solar cycle always follows the pattern of increasing towards the solar maximum and then decreasing towards the solar minimum, where the number of sunspots is at its lowest. It's still possible to see auroras during the solar minimum. It's just that less violent particles are emitted by the sun and hence times when the northern and southern lights can be seen outside the auroral zone are less frequent. But the next solar maximum's not too far away. We are currently in solar cycle 25, which is the 25th cycle of the sun since record keeping began in 1755. The most recent space weather forecast from NASA suggests that solar cycle 25 will peak in July 2025, give or take eight months. So keep a lookout, and if you're planning a trip to Iceland or Tasmania, there's no better time to go. Now, how are more geographically widespread displays of the auroras away from the auroral zones possible? Well, the culprit behind these magnificent displays are coronal mass ejections, expansive clouds of magnetically charged particles in the sun. Instead of shaken Pepsi cans, think more volcanic eruptions. Coronal mass ejections are more frequent during the solar maximum, as are coronal holes, which emit weaker solar winds that aren't as fast or explosive but are more stable and are another aurora catalyst. Solar flares, sunspots and so on all create high geomagnetic activity in our atmosphere due to the interaction between the solar wind and Earth's magnetic field. Now, just like we measure the severity of earthquakes on a Richter scale from 1 to 10, there's a similar system to rate geomagnetic activity, the planetary K-index, or KP-index, which ranges from 0 for low activity to 9. Pretty much, the higher the KP-index, the greater the auroral activity, and greater visibility at lower latitudes. For KP in the range of 0 to 2, the aurora will be towards the poles. In the range of 3 to 7 kp, the aurora will move further and further away from the poles, and at 8 to 9, it will move towards the equator, creating intense auroras. To put this into perspective, let's go back to solar cycle 10. The Carrington event in 1859 is the most intense geomagnetic storm and only event that's greater than 9 in the kp index on record. Magnificent auroras caused by a supersolar flare could be seen as far from the poles as the Caribbean. 
It even caused fires in telegraph stations as it enhanced the electric current flowing through the telegraph wires and ignited the recording tech. Australian miner C.F. Herbert retold his story in Perth to the Daily Telegraph and said, Lights of every imaginable colour were issuing from the sudden heavens, one colour fading away only to give place to another, if possible, more beautiful than the last. Even now, we are struck with awe when we look up towards a ghostly whale of green and purple dancing in the sky. So how exactly did our ancestors even begin to comprehend this phenomenon? Imagine standing underneath the Icelandic sky again, but this time the year is 100 CE, and you think the world is about to end. Portents like these become very important. Vikings believed the auroras were reflections from shields of maidens known as Valkyries that took dead warriors to heaven known as Valhalla. Icelandic folklore states that the northern lights ease the pain of childbirth, but in Greenland, it was believed to be the spirits of children who died during childbirth. Indigenous Australians saw the aurora as the cosmos in fire, a warning to follow sacred law and also blood in the cosmos. Some Aboriginal communities across New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia perceived the red hues to be bloodshed by warriors fighting a battle in the sky or the spirits of those dead rising to heaven. Auroras are actually occurring 24 hours a day. If you were to look at Earth from space with a UV filter, the auroras would be visibly occurring all the time. But back here on the ground, your best chance is to head for the poles on a dark, cloudless night. To find the northern lights, you can go to remote locations under the Northern Auroral Oval, which covers Iceland, Northern Sweden, Finland, Norway, Russia, Canada, Alaska, and Southern Greenland from November through to February. The Southern Auroral Oval covers Antarctica and the Southern Ocean, but when the aurora cycle is peaking, as it is now, it can be seen in Tasmania and the southern part of mainland Australia. So, for all the aurora chasers out there, picture laying down on top of a hill on a blanket of white snow and the only sight your eyes meet are marvellous brushstrokes of green, red and purple on a pitch black cloudless sky with nature as its artist. And if you are lucky enough to see one, take the time to think about the stellar science that creates them. You've been listening to Podcast Next Gen, a collaboration between the National Youth Science Forum and Cosmos magazine. Year 12 students from across Australia have written and recorded their own science shortcasts about important topics in their lives. We'll be releasing them weekly, so keep an ear out. Cosmos is a publication of the Royal Institution of Australia, which is based in Adelaide on Ghana land. The students recorded their pieces around Australia, and we pay respects to Indigenous groups across the country.